0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hey, hi, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hardwood Knocks podcast. I am Dan Favelli coming at you with my other super duper, incredibly awesome, squared, totally now shredded because he goes to Orange Theory once every other hour, it seems like, co-host Mo Dakeel. We will be without Andrew D. Bailey today, but fear not. We're going to cover some great stuff without him. We're getting into Atlantic Division offseason grades. That's how we are keeping the content fresh and pumping them out in these dog days of the NBA offseason. Before we get started, though, just our usual housekeeping notes, please remember to continue rating, reviewing, and most of all, subscribing to us on iTunes. You can find us wherever else you're consuming your podcast, but iTunes is still the best way to help us know that you are out there and listening and that we're not yelling out to the great void. It takes 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Search Hardwood Knocks on iTunes. Subscribe to us if you haven't done that already. Throw us the five-star rating um, leave whatever feedback comments you have in the review section we love reading those we know we have many more listeners than have rated and reviewed us so please keep those things a chugging along follow hardwood Knox on twitter as well at hardwood Knox. also be sure to follow mo at mo.heel underscore mba that's at m-o-d-a-k-h-i-l underscore mba you can follow me on twitter at dan favalli f-a-v a-L-E. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D Bailey. Also be sure that you are following blue wire on Twitter as well at blue wire pods. Um, that's at blue wire pods. I control the Twitter account over there along with uh, a few others who are on the awesome team that we've built. So again, follow at blue wire pods. Finally, today's episode is brought to you by ship station. We're going to have an ad read on them later because they're awesome, but. ShipStation brings you this episode and all other episodes we will be carrying this week. Shout out to them as well. With all of that aside, Mo, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I went to Orange Theory twice, dude. Like,
0: Let's pump the brake. Just today?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, Since... The last po- last time we pod, I've gone twice. Now, I might go more often, but let's just be honest about one thing. I still eat like a slob, so it's going to be a very long way before I ever get shredded. Uh, but I'm doing well, man.
0: Um, look, hey, I can't do regular dieting. For the past like 18 to 24 months, I've done cyclical keto, uh, and that's been what's worked out best for me, for someone who cannot portion at all. Just absolutely terrible with it. I don't know how people follow super strict diets.
1: I, I, I don't know either. I'm, I'm with you.
0: Um, food so, is so good. Well, food is first of all, amazing. I had four burritos on Sunday night, so uh, that's how amazing <laughs> food is. Um, but anyway, to,
1: <laughs> I didn't know what to say to that. That's why I left it alone.
0: We get to the, Oh, I can, I can eat. I can put back food. I ate four burritos, 24 wontons, um, and a quart of chicken and broccoli that night. So that's just that's a Sunday nights are my cheat night, and I cheat. I cheat for real. That's how I put it. I cheat for real. Clearly. That's a little bit off topic from the off-season grades for the Atlantic Division. I did want to ask you though, really quickly, what you thought about the Draymond Green extension. Signs four years, 99.7 million dollars, 15% trade kicker, which actually matters because while this was the max extension the Warriors could offer him. Uh, it is not his act. what his actual max salary will be, so unless he waives it, that's money that he can actually get should they ever move him. And he also has a player option on year four, which I believe is his age 34 season. Were you like most surprised to see him have signed that? Do you like the deal for both sides? What were your initial impressions of it?
1: I mean, like everybody else, I was surprised. It, was, it came out of nowhere, but I think it's good for both sides. I think it if this is where Draymond Green really wants to be, he kind of had to take this kind, this sort of extension. They were never going to give him like the super max. Like everybody was going nuts, going like he cost himself so much money. So, man, sometimes it's about just being happy and enjoying the situation you're in. Let's be honest. There's not a lot he can't do with $100 million in the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's a good, good deal for him. It also gives him security, grants him any situation, you know, should there be an injury this year, they're going to ask a lot of him this season. So, you know, it allows him to kind of protect against that. And we just kind of saw what happened with Katie and the Achilles and clay. So I understand it in that regard. So it's a good deal. It's good for Golden State. They lock him up and don't have to worry about paying him 200 million or dealing with a, Issue in the locker room, like he's going to be happy in the locker room. He's not. He's going to be a joyful Draymond Green, and I think that's something they enjoy having around. And you know, listen, I'm. I hope these three guys end up staying together forever, kind of the way the Spurs had Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, and Monta Ginobili together forever. Once those two guys retired, I know Tony left, but I, I I hope we can kind of see something similar with the with the Warriors with Curry, Thompson, and Green.
0: It is, I tweeted this at the time of the extension, it is wild how long those three have actually played together, seven years and counting now in today's era. I know they had a hit on, you know, Curry's contract extension helped because it was so low. They found Draymond Green in the second round. None of these guys were top five picks. That being said, just what we've seen with player movement over the past, during that span it's crazy that they've been together for seven years. And the other thing that I think you brought up is not only were the Warriors definitely not going to give him the super max that he have qualified for it, there would have been two schools of thought to look at his free agency that the market is so barren of talent he was going to get his actual max price point or there wouldn't be enough teams with the timeline necessary to offer him that money. And so these are mostly rough projections now because so much can change over the next year with – Player options and non-guaranteed salaries and all that and if extensions are signed team options as well but the five teams i have with the most cap space for next summer as of now are atlanta toronto the knicks the cavaliers and the grizzlies i think you can say maybe two of those teams assuming they all keep their projected cap space might be functioning like we need to win right now and make a huge blast in the summer of 2020 and i don't even think that's a guarantee so unless you know, a team like Portland, which has cap space but not the max, was going to go to great lengths to carve out the necessary money and then max him out. There's a chance that he might not have gotten at least noticeably more money over the the four year span had he entered free agency.
1: Right, and then if he's trying to leverage those teams against the Warriors, it's you know he might end up having to come back to the Warriors for less. So I I don't think it's a unfair deal either way. I think he's really happy. I think a lot of people thought when Rich Paul became his agent that he was going to there, everybody was like a tennis one up going like, Oh, there's, there's trouble in the waters for the warriors. Like Draymond's probably going to end up leaving. And so I I think that's where it caught everybody off guard, but look, if he's happy where he is, sometimes you just can't put a crazy price tag on it.
0: Right. I'm with you there. And so I think it ends up being a good deal for both sides. It's, I do think it's a really quality deal for the Warriors based off what they might have had to pay him if a team came along gave him max a regular max they would have had to think about offering him that much at least on to the Atlantic division though as usual we're going in reverse record order which means that we are starting with the 17 and 65 New York Knicks their notable additions include Bobby Portis Alfred Payton Iggy Brasdeiskis, Julius Randall, Marcus Morris, Reggie Bullock, R.J. Barrett, Taj Gibson, Wayne Ellington. Notable exits include DeAndre Jordan, Emmanuel Mudiay, Henry Ellinson, Lance Thomas, Luke Cornett, Mario Hazonia, and Noah Vonleh. They did not have any notable re-signings. I was a proponent of Noah Vonleh should have been a re-signing, but that's that's whatever. I gave them a C. Mo, what did you give them?
1: I gave him a B minus. Ooh, I think we went way overboard myself included and this was a terrible summer for the Knicks they didn't I mean they made a lot of bad decisions going after the free agents right away right like we all thought they were going to get they had a shot at KD and somebody else Kyrie whoever KD got hurt they chose to cancel that meeting which led to canceling a meeting with Kawhi or not? and there's a whole bunch of kind of misdirections with those stories and things like that. But the thing I liked that they did was they got guys, they've only signed them to two years, two year deals. They didn't sort of panic and then give Bobby Portis a five year crazy deal, right? A Julius Randle a massive deal. They they protected their cap space for the next two years. I know it's not what we wanted. Everybody kind of was hoping the Knicks would start to kind of be good again I was hoping at least on my end because I think the league's fun when the Knicks are good when the Lakers are good when the top teams are good I think we have a lot more fun in the NBA so I was kind of hoping they'd find a way to get the you know a big name but they didn't and I just kind of like what they did in in absence of that having not really freaked out which is something that the Knicks would have done in the past that's kind of how they ended up giving Amari Stoudemire a crazy contract you know I think They were smart this time around and learned from that mistake. So as much as we want to kill them for all the pieces they got and that, listen, I don't think they're going to be good, but I just think they did a good job of not tying themselves into a situation that they can't get themselves out of two years from now.
0: I did like some of the things that they did. The deal structures were perfect. You have these, most of these players have team options on the second year. They're only guaranteed, uh, 1 million, I think most of them. And then Julius Randle, the three-year deal, he's only guaranteed 4 million in that third season. So like you said, they preserve their cap space in each of the next two summers. And the fact that they didn't go all traditional Knicks in the absence of landing a star, I do think that's progress. That being said, if we're not going to penalize a team like the Warriors for losing Kevin Durant or the Raptors for losing Kawhi Leonard, spoiler alert, at least in my book, it seems sort of hypocritical to then critique the Knicks for whiffing, but they put more into it during the regular season than other teams with the Porzingis trade. And so now we're at the point where final verdicts still need to be holstered. What does KP look like on his max deal in Dallas? What do those two Dallas picks turn into? Does Dennis Smith Jr. turn into anything? That still all matters. But they did that, that trade, predominantly so they could have two max cap slots. They acted as if they were a team that was going to land Kyrie and Kevin Durant in the vein that the Nets did where it happened before free agency ever started that they didn't also matters. The other thing, and I didn't hit them for that too hard, why were they not involved in the Mo Harkless dump or the Andre Iguodala dump? I know hindsight is 2020 and all that, but everyone and their third cousins imaginary friends third cousin knew that Miami needed to shed salary because they were getting Jimmy Butler in a side-and-trade and the hard cap was kicking in for them. A team in the Knicks situation, the smartest teams, the most well-run teams, take advantage of those situations. And we saw it with the Grizzlies and and Nick And Again, we saw it with the Clippers and what they did with Harkless. That's something that I just can't get around. And finally, I do think they've signed a ton of guys who prefer to operate with the ball in their hand. And I think there could be some issues because they already have some ball-dominant players on the roster. You look at R.J. Barrett, supposed to be a primary initiator of material. Dennis Smith Jr., is up. he's shown he can play off the ball a little bit, but he's a ball-dominant point guard. What do you want Kevin Knox to be? on the offensive end. I'm not saying they had to go out and sign talent exclusively for fit, but you add a Marcus Morris and Julius Randall, um, Bobby Portis, all guys that can play off the ball to some degree, particularly Portis, but there, there is just a ton of overlap there. And so I just, I'm hesitant to give them more than just a, Hey, you know, you went through the off season and you didn't fuck up your future in any demonstrative way. That's just sort of my impression of their off season.
1: Yeah. And you made a lot of points. And I think the not jumping in for trades, to collect assets was a massive mistake on their end. And I think that's something that really can't be forgivable, but if they turn around and are able to flip some of these young guys in the season for maybe an expiring deal and, and a pick that's something that's possible. If Julius Randall looks really great and a contender comes calling, going like, we really think we're a Julius Randall. I can't believe I'm saying this away from a championship. Uh, you know, they they can get a pick out of it. It's not totally out of the realm of possibility that they can flip these guys down the road for assets. But you're right. They missed opportunities for sure. I don't mind that the roster is going to be kind of screwed up because I don't think they're going to try to win. I think they're going to go back that route. But I want to go back to when they traded Porzingis, you know, we all but thought like, oh, they must know th- something. They're they're getting two guys. Uh Dolan's Incredulous interview where he's like, "Oh, it's going to be a great off season for us and all that stuff," you know, like that's kind of uh, it was a bit risky, but <laughs> it's one of those things. And I'm going to bring it back to the movie Draft Day, uh, a favorite in the Mo Daquille household. I was about really. to say you're yeah. bringing
0: it back. Were we ever there to begin with?
1: <laughs> it's uh, it's a favorite of mine. If you if you've ever followed me or, or listened to me on most other podcasts. Uh, there's a great line in the movie where they're trying to make a trade happen at, on draft night. And, you know, at the last second, a team changes the parameters of a deal and the guy goes, Oh no, no, that's not what we agreed to. And he said, Hey, we live in a different world than we did 30 seconds ago. And I think that's kind of what happened to the Knicks in February. I honestly think there were signals that they were getting, kd and, and somebody else I mean, whether it was Kyrie or somebody else i honestly think there were signals and that's why they made that trade and just the calculation and everything changed come june you know i don't we we kill the lakers a little bit for we we actually don't kill the lakers for waiting for Kawhi and missing out on free agents i think this is kind of along the same lines of like listen man trading porzingis and two first round picks for a possibility of getting KD and Kyrie. I, I, I you, you do it. You don't hesitate if you think you have the chance to do it. And so I don't ding them for that. I just think there's there's areas where they kind of made a miscalculation, not jumping in on those trades to get Mo Harkless, which wouldn't have really cost them anything, and collecting an asset. Like you said, those are things that worry me. But overall, I just don't I don't think it was as bad a summer as we made it out to be.
0: That's fair. I'm still going to ding them for the max contract stuff. I do believe, I know that Kyrie and KD will deny this, but I think that the tide changed for good because of KD's injury, or at least I think we have to entertain that that happened, where maybe Kyrie always wanted to go to Brooklyn, and knowing that he was going to have to play the first year by himself, and looking at the Knicks roster when they didn't get Zion or didn't trade for AD, you then know that the Nets are a team that he can get to the playoffs with, whereas this Knicks roster, Kyrie, is not getting to the playoffs without Kevin Durant. And so that's definitely something to factor in. It's just, again, the, the giving up on a prospect like Porzingis, their best prospect in decades, you have to come out of that with something more. Whether it was, hey, we used this cap space to take on assets that gave us picks, which they didn't. And I like the point you made about, hey, maybe they can flip these guys to the deadline. It's certainly possible, but I don't see at their price points next year for most of them, the following year, excuse me, I don't think it's a situation where you get a pick just for Bobby Portis unless you're taking back bad money in return. And I also don't know how many of those deals are going to be out there if teams don't want the flexibility of the team options because the free agency class is so shallow. And so I'm interested. That's something to monitor in February. A lot of moving parts here. And again, I think you know we quibbled over just very minor Differences in, in the grades. I don't think it was a terrible offseason for the Knicks. I know people have given them D's and F's in their report cards, but I don't think you can go that far.
1: Yeah, that's, that's an extreme level.
0: That brings us to the Brooklyn Nets, who, despite being fourth in the Atlantic Division, still won 42 games. Um, their notable additions include a couple people. I don't really know if you've heard of them, but their notable additions include David Nwaba, DeAndre Jordan, Dang Adele, Garrett Temple, Henry Ellison, Jalen Hans, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Nicholas Claxton, Torian Prince, and Wilson Chandler. Some notable exits include Alan Crabb, D'Angelo Russell, Damari Carroll, Ed Davis, Jared Dudley, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Shabazz Napier, and Travion Graham. I did not have them down as having any... Notable re-signings. I gave them an A. What did you give them, Mo?
1: I gave them a B. And the main reason why is I don't trust Kyrie. At the end of the day, he's a talented player. I have no question about his talents on the court. We saw what he did to a young locker room in Boston. And he's going to have a young locker room in Brooklyn. I'm concerned with that regard. I liked what the Nets were building with D'Angelo Russell and, and just kind of progressing. I thought they made a leap, made the playoffs and it's a, it's God, this is going to be a lot of movie references today. I'm going to have to figure out references for, for the other guys. I, it, it, it's like the movie when the, the nerd gets all cool and all of a sudden,ly the, he dishes his friends to go hang out with the cool crowd or, or, or hang out with the, uh, the hot chick starts to show him interest. Uh, Almost kind of like Teen Wolf sort of thing, and I think the the Nets got some flirty eyes from Kyrie and immediately got excited and were like, "We're all in." And so they had built a culture. They built a wonderful kind of organization. I, I loved everything they had done up to this point. I'm very concerned now for that culture that they built with Kyrie there. You know, I I don't know if that's something that's going to stick. He's on a long-term contract, if if it goes bad, his his value is going to be low because now it's going to be his second team in which he's torched a, a locker room and he'll get blamed for it. I think anytime you do get KD and Kyrie, even if it's KD with a torn Achilles, <coughs> it's not a bad summer. So you know, I'm I'm just not going to go an A. So uh, I said B. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll give him a B plus, but I'm very concerned about them. Kind of throwing away their culture for the pretty girl in the room, and you know, as we've seen in the movie, it never really works out right away for them, and they end up going back to their friends. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens in that situation. But that's kind of my take on the the Nets.
0: Did you just predict a Kyrie Irving for D'Angelo Russell trade? Them going back to their friends. That's what I heard in that.
1: Oh, Dan, you're so annoying.
0: <laughs> Look, I. They took risks, and the the move I liked the least, by the way, was giving DeAndre Jordan four years and forty million dollars. I know that was part of what got you, KD and Kyrie, each of whom took less to get DeAndre Jordan. You do not need to pay him on average eight figures a year when you have Jared Allen on the roster. You just don't need to pay him eight figures uh, per year in general. But
1: oh, it was it was completely stupid. It, but yeah, it, 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 they were held like a gun was held to their head, and they had to do it. Because of those guys, but I also want to. I, I would have challenged KD and Kyrie a little bit, going like, "Really? Like, are you not going to sign with us? Because we won't sign De- DeAndre Jordan."
0: Right. Like, like they, that. That money feels like it could have been used on another useful player that was a better fit.
1: But and Jared Allen's going to be a better player than DeAndre Jordan, or at least along the same levels. But now you've stunted his growth. Yo, a
0: hundred percent. So that move. I would have given them an A+, if not for that move. I know there's risk with Kevin Durant, too. He's not playing next year, but I believe you and I have talked about this. Even if you only get the version of Kevin Durant who can catch the ball and shoot over people, that's still an all-star, just because of the size he has. And I look to what Rudy Gay has done in the aftermath of his Achilles injury, and for someone like Kevin Durant, again, who can shoot over everybody and who is just a better player than Rudy Gay in general, I actually don't think it ends up being... too big of a risk the bigger one leap is Kyrie as you pointed out this is definitely a flex uh on their part because of the culture that they've built behind the scenes there which is absolutely fantastic and the fact that they've done it while enduring turnover at least through those first three seasons with or or excuse me part of those first three seasons with Kenny Atkinson there is is again pretty incredible because you have to build these relationships with players and Uh, their families, and then agents, while you're also kind of turning through a bunch of the roster. Not so much last year, but in the preceding two years. That's impressive, and, and part of the reason I'm not worried about it. The other thing I think matters here, too, is that this is the first time in his career that Kyrie Irving has gotten a pick where he gets to play, and I think that ends up helping it, because for all the reasons you laid out, his value sort of tanks if it doesn't work out here, and at that point, he has to sort of know that as well. So I think he would be just a little bit more committed to making it work. He's now not just chosen his team, he's chosen his superstar partner over the long term. And I just like, in general, the moves they made on the margins. Uh, David Nwaba, really good defender. Just can defend basically positions one through four. He hit over 35% of his wide open threes last year. If he can knock down those open looks, he'll be able to stay on the floor longer, I think, than people realize. I still like Torian Prince, even though he really can't hold on to the ball when he's trying to run anything in the half court. Uh, Wilson Chandler, just a good veteran to have. I like Garrett temple as sort of this, not a secondary, but maybe a third or, or fourth guy who can handle the ball if you need it, but while also sort of playing the wing spot, but is kind of a guard and he's shown he can shoot off the ball. I like this roster in general. And so while I don't think you can build the nets as bona fide championship contenders without KD, I kind of do think they're going to be a little bit better than people expect from them without him.
1: Yeah. The, the flex you're talking about, too, like them bringing in DeAndre Jordan into the fold almost shows a crack in their culture beginning to happen already. Now, it might be just a small, little, little tiny, tiny, tiny. <laughs> I don't even know if it's a, maybe I don't even know if it's a crack or a fracture, but it starts. You know, it already started right there. I love the Nwaba stuff. I've been a Nuaba fan since he was a Laker. I actually know his high school coach here in L.A. He's an L.A. kid. But man, like there's, I think they're going to be a play. They're going to be a playoff team. The East is just so bad. I mean, they might even be a third seed, depending how bad the East goes. The, I just, I, I just, I'm worried about the culture they built and I'm more worried about it in a long run. They might even have a successful season this year. Then it gets really interesting. on in how do you incorporate Kevin Durant? And like you said, we don't know what he's going to be like when he comes back, but how do you incorporate Kevin Durant into the situation? Because Kyrie's gonna have to lighten his load a little bit, and to make room for him and things like that. And we we don't necessarily know how well that's always gonna work out uh, a year from now. So my concerns are almost more long term. But I'm just I just I don't trust the kid, man.
0: Fair, firm, but fair. The next team, Boston Celtics, a complicated off season. Third in the Atlantic Division. Hold on, did
1: you just bills lane me? Did I just what? mills lane me do you, does anybody know who uh, oh, this is not live or any it's only you on the call so that's a dumb question but do you not know who mills lane the the referee the boxing referee used to be no the mills really there was there was i'm pretty sure it was him he used to end every time boxing he used to be like i'm fir- I'm, f- I'm firm but fair so when he said that i was like oh wow i got a mills lane then yes, reference. that's what
0: we'll call it. you definitely just got mills Lane, and then you pulled the audience that we do not have about it so that live audience that you pulled that we do not have about it spectacular stuff for Mo Dakhil. we will anxiously <laughs> yeah, await your next gonna, movie gonna reference damn <laughs> <laughs> the celtics third in the atlantic 49 and 43 last year like i said and the lead-in for them a complicated off season Notable additions include Carson Edwards, Ennis Kanner, Grant Williams, Kemba Walker, Romeo Langford, Taco Fall, Tremont Waters, and Vincent Poirier. Notable exits include Al Horford, Aaron Baines, uh, Gershon Yabuselli, Kyrie Irving, Marcus Morris, Terry Rozier. Their notable resignings include Brad Wanamaker and Daniel Tice. I gave them much to the discontent of people who are not Celtics fans when I published my report card grades at Bleacher Report, a B-minus. What did you give them, Mo? I gave
1: them a C. I we're, think
0: we're pretty close on all of these. It's funny that the Nets are the one that we differed on the most so far.
1: Yeah, and I think I, I bumped my grade up to a B plus. So we're actually pretty close on it. I just think the Kyrie thing really bothers me uh, more because, again, pretty girl flirts at you. Force with you, and you immediately jump at it, and turns out that. Do you was think the, it's
0: gonna not work out? Is that your prediction, or are you just sort of in this? You don't know if it's gonna work out. Stage.
1: I'm I'm wavering in between the two. Okay. I don't think it's gonna work out, and I'm not. I mean, like I can see where it can, but he, he, the kid is just so all over the place. I mean, his Instagram is nuts, and all things like that, and. the fake intellectual attitude that he has uh he probably took one philosophy class at duke and who knows if he actually went uh but he just kind of that whole thing i'm i'm not comfortable and i think he's a phenomenal talent on the court i think he's amazing but i i just it i really am concerned with what he can do in a locker room but we're talking the celtics and the c i'm giving them has more to do with not losing Kyrie, but Losing Al Horford,
0: yeah, that's that's a tough
1: look. And and not even that, just never finding a way to replace him. You traded Aaron Baines. You, you you I you know the Robert Williams is going to be your answer at center. I love Kemba Walker. I think he's going to do really well for them. I think it's a mistake to compare him to Kyrie Irving. I think it's more similar to you know, when they had Isaiah Thomas. I think he's more closer to it than he is Kyrie. But I'm just concerned in the regards of, man, their front court. Is just, I mean, Ennis Cantor, that's nice, but like, where's the defense coming from? Is that nice? And for all this, well, it's nice. It's cute. <laughs> cute. It's cute. How about there that? You go. Cute. Um, yeah, you know, but the where the defense is coming from in that front court is going to be a big question mark for that team. And I don't think Robert Williams is ready. I don't think. Uh, D- Daniel Tice, I don't know if that's the guy. Um, and the bigger, the, the thing that's really going to come out is all the small things that Al Horford did that the the few Celtics fans who didn't appreciate him are going to realize this is the stuff he did. And they're going to miss him for that. And I think that's a real big concern. I think they might be even better than they were last year. But the, the questions on what they're going to do defensively is something that really scares me.
0: Yeah, I gave them a B minus predominantly because the Kyrie Irving and even the Al Horford stuff was decided before free agency. And like you, I think you can only kind of hit them for what happened with Al Horford. It didn't. I don't know what actually happened with Kyrie Irving, but Danny Ainge said to reporters that he pretty much knew Irving was gone uh, as early as March, around February, or March, or March or April. He said had a pretty good idea. Is the quote that's. Just from the guy who said it in October, I want to resign here and I want my jersey retired here. Just a, I would love to know what actually happened, but behind the scenes, there was it just a generational gap between him and their other kids. But it seemed like he was just gone, and so they rebounded nicely um, by getting Kemba Walker. I I don't think Kemba Walker's as good as Kyrie Irving. I think he's better than a diet Kyrie Irving though, and we've had. Uh, I wouldn't say a spirited debate, but I'm team Kemba Walker's better on defense than you think, even though he might not even be the six foot that he's listed at. I just feel like he tries. Their interior defense is absolutely going to be a problem, though. And I don't want to, I'm not going to just step over the words you already said. So it's, you know, you mentioned all the other guys. What is Grant Williams going to make an impact as a rookie? He might be their highest IQ front court defender on the team right now. And that's probably an issue. The other thing that stands out to me is what are they doing for secondary playmaking? on this roster. It's just, it's sort of, you know, Marcus Smart can give you some, maybe Gordon Hayward will be all the way back, but you need a leap in that department from at least one of Jalen Brown or more likely Jason Tatum, just because Jalen Brown seems to get tunnel vision whenever he puts the ball on the floor. And I don't know that you can guarantee that. Are you kind of banking on Carson Edwards or Wanamaker to give you minutes do you think that Romeo Langford is going to turn into something immediately as a rookie and now you're in this position to where even if you're relying on all of your most experienced players you still have a ton of question marks and so I do think behind the scenes everything's going to end up being better off just because there's not that differing timeline or differing views whatever the hell was wrong with Kyrie Irving where Marcus Smart just said he didn't put it all on Kyrie Irving but he did say that the Celtics were toxic dysfunctional so you improve from that standpoint, but aside from losing Al Horford, just the lifeblood of, of your defense and encore communication, really, you still have Marcus smart, but what are you going to do on the interior? And then who is your go-to secondary playmaker? Can Gordon Hayward get back to that level? And that's has nothing to do really with free agency, but that's probably their biggest question. Unless you're really fascinated by uh Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, but this conversation sort of swings in one direction or the other depending on what Gordon Hayward looks like if he's anything close to what he was in 2016-2017 before he went to Boston we might be able to view this roster uh, in a a bunch of different terms probably still not the best defensively particularly up front but getting him back or seeing him recapture his form or something close to it would end up being monstrous for them
1: yeah and I think we're gonna see a better Gordon Hayward I mean. I had last year really as a wash. From the beginning of the year, I kind of – I don't know if I've said it publicly. I know I definitely said it to privately to one of my good friends who's a diehard Celtics fan that expects a ton of up and downs with him just because he's not – it takes a full year to kind of come back from that, not just physically but also mentally and building that trust in your leg and having that understanding. And we saw that almost with Paul George, and it takes a while to get back to where you're at. I think we're going to see a better Gordon Hayward. if he's going to be what he was when he was with Utah, I don't know. But if but if he can come close to that, that's your secondary playmaker. That's your guy that's going to really kind of help that offense along. I don't – you know, Edwards is really kind of a gunner, and that's fine. Get that dude coming off the bench and get him hot and let him, let him cook. But I think their plan this season is really going to have to be uh, – we're going to outscore you a lot more than we're going to stop you defensively.
0: Yeah. And that's just, I, if, look, if they end up being just a noticeably above average defensive team, uh, Brad Stevens is going to deserve a round of applause.
1: Yes. We'll see. We'll see the, the Brad Stevens, hype and dislike has gone up and down. So his, un- his, his polling ratings have gone from very favorable to very unfavorable to who knows what he's going to be next season. He, he he goes up and down like a roller coaster with him.
0: There's, there's been some people that have argued that this is just a better roster for him to coach, be a coach because it's a little bit more devoid of ego. I don't know how true that is, but part of the, and I've, I think I've been pretty measured on Brad Stevens. Maybe I was too close to the hype train before the Kyrie Irving stuff, but definitely part of being a good to great NBA coach, you're going to have to balance star egos and figure out a way to get production from having uh, certain talents on the roster. And most definitely you're not going to catch sympathy for having too much talent on the roster.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, it's Brad Stevens is the kind of guy that can do more with less and struggles when he has too much. That's what it looked like so far. That may not be the case. It might be an unfair opinion or something to throw out there. But I think so far, that's what it's looked like. You know, he does a good job when he has to really kind of figure it out. But when he has too many good weapons like he did this year, it becomes a problem for him.
0: When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders no matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Hardwood Knox listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk you can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in blue B L U E. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code blue. ShipStation.com. Make Ship happen. team that i thought was difficult to grade the philadelphia 76ers who finished second in the atlantic division last year 51 and 31 just an aside note that the nba needs to get rid of divisions and maybe conferences too but uh moving
1: on (laughs) we're gonna talk conferences another time that was a we'll have that conversation i just feel so
0: stupid breaking things up into Divisions because they're just so meaningless to me. I'm but it's with just, you on
1: divisions. I with you on ma-
0: divisions. It's more manageable to break up the podcast that way. I just want to say that to the audience. Kind of like when people write about positions now, that's just a more convenient way of sort of creating separation and, and hierarchies. That's a that's too much of a that's a, that's a too profound of a digression for the moment. Though Philly's notable additions include a ton of out of nowhere acquisitions, in my opinion. Al Horford, Josh Richardson, Kyler uh Matisse Thybul. Uh, Norval Pell, Raul Neto, and Trey Burke, who actually thought was a pretty good signing late in the offseason. Notable exits include Amir Johnson, Boban, Marjanovic, Greg Monroe, Jimmy Butler, J.J. Reddick, Jonathan Simmons, and T.J. McConnell. Notable re-signings, Furkan Korkmaz, James Ennis, Mike Scott, Shake Milton, and Tobias Harris. I gave them a B.
1: Mo, what did you give them? I gave them an F for breaking up the Tobias and Boban show. That is not allowable. You cannot we, we've I thought we've written this into the collective bargaining agreement. I thought we've all agreed those two are gonna stay together forever. Doesn't matter. You trade one, the other one's coming behind him. It's just a rule. Uh do you, nah. do you
0: this is well, this is actually on topic, but have you seen the picture when they were with the Clippers and they're like staring into each other's souls just so close up? It's one of my favorite NBA pictures of all time. If you haven't seen it, I'm gonna send it to you after this at some point.
1: I hope your wife looks at you that way, Dan, because that's true love, man. That is something you cannot find anywhere. That's a fairy tale love, uh, bringing it into a movie. That's the that's the kind of love they're talking about in the Princess Bride. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going kind of nuts. Um, no,
0: I think the F was firm but fair,
1: <laughs> and that's what the F stands for. Uh, no, uh, <clears throat> this isn't going to be fun because I agree with you. It's a B. I think the biggest question mark for me is, man, who are they going to to close games? You know, I love what they did by getting Al Horford. I mean, also weakens the Celtics, strengthens them, allows them to rest and bead and not really lose too much with Horford. I think it allows them to kind of play a little bit more with lineups. Excuse me. Um, And I think we're getting into an interesting point there. I think they're going to be a really unbelievable defensive team few questions of shooting. Of course, losing JJ was a big hit for them, especially in that regard. But at the end of the games, man, that's really where I'm concerned. Who's the guy you're going to? Um, As much as I like Tobias Harris, he's not a max guy, and he's not a closer. He hasn't proven to be a closer yet. Uh, Maybe that happens. And, you know, you had to overpay to keep him. That's just the way the league is now. A lot of guys who are not really... Max guys get max contracts and Harris is one of them. So I think it's a, they're in a tough spot. They had to do it. There was no choice. Um, and, but I think they're going to be a really good team next year. I think they have a chance to be a top three defense just with what they got. And, you know, they're huge. I mean, they're, they're, they're the monsters type of size. And as teams are going to go small against them, you know, they're going to have a hard time, you know, rebounding against a team this big and, you know, a lot's going to hinge fair, or unfair on Ben Simmons and his development. And I don't even need Ben Simmons to have a jump shot. I don't even need him shooting threes. I need him to make free throws at a better clip. I need him to be a 70% free throw shooter. I need him to attack the rim with an aggression that like, I don't care if you foul me, I'm going to get to the line and knock these down. Because there's a lot of times, especially in the fourth quarter, where he kind of shies away from contact and, and attacking the rim because he's afraid to get fouled because he's not comfortable at the free throw line yet. I I think that's where that really hinges for them is Ben Simmons' development. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to come out and shoot threes or whatever or hit mid-range shots. And I know everybody went nuts with the video that came out, but really, I just need him to make a respectable amount of free throws, and I think we'll see a massive improvement in the team that from there.
0: The, the closing thing is certainly an issue for me too, as is the Ben Simmons thing. Obviously, I'm very interested. I know Sixers Twitter has been pretty adamant about tweeting out the the numbers for the Sixers when Embiid and Simmons have shared the floor, and I get that they're good. Just sort of introducing Horford creates this weird offensive dynamic. It's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic defensively. It's just gonna work. Uh, and as you said, the Sixers are huge. Um, they they only have one player in their projected starting five who is shorter than six nine. That is wild. Uh, And it's Josh Richardson, who's 6'6". So it's not even like he's... That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's just absolutely nuts. Um, This is what I kept coming back to. It's sort of a push and pull. Last year, the Sixers blasted opponents by 10.7 points per 100 possessions with an elite defensive rating when Embiid played with Mike Muscala before he was traded. Now he gets to play with Al Horford. The upshot there, and you sort of already touched upon this, 70% of those muscala and bead reps came with jj reddick on the court they just don't have that release valve anymore someone to replace his combination of shooting handling and off ball motion and that's where maybe the simmons and bead relationship starts to turn a little bit if simmons doesn't bust out something resembling a reliable floater or maybe where he can just you can't bank on fouling him if he gets too close to the rim because he's hitting his his free throws at a higher clip they need something like that from him especially down the stretch of close games and it's they have so much talent ben simmons included and you can correct me if i'm wrong but when it's crunch time in the half court face up wings and guards are just the most valuable weapons those guys who can stroke jumpers off the dribble against these set defenses they had it in jimmy butler maybe they have a facsimile of one in tobias harris but now they just don't have a clear cut one and you can say maybe josh richardson can do a little bit of it that wasn't his bag in miami it shouldn't be his bag in philly and i as you said i'm just interested to see how they handle the pecking order and are they going to be put in some awkward spots where maybe that huge trio of simmons horford and Embiid doesn't work functionally on offense later in games. It should work overall because Embiid is willing to shoot threes. Al Horford can actually hit threes as opposed to Embiid, who has not shot well since his <laughs> rookie season. So there are things you can do where it would be fine, I think, for you know the first 43, 44 minutes of the game. The crunch time pecking order and just the spacing in general is, is going to be A biggie for them and you know even if they didn't have to give Landry Shamet up in the Tobias Harris trade or something just would have been huge for them looking at this roster now because it seems that's what they need the most even with Kyle Corver it was like you know he's not great anymore but just having that sort of pinball guy he's not going to handle the ball but having someone just fly around in the half court that might have just helped them a great deal more so than it would have for most teams
1: there's a a couple of things I want to hit on that from what you said and some stuff I kind of forgot to say one I also think the Horford edition is going to be huge in the locker room like you know Brett Brown made the joke of Jimmy being the adult in the room when they when he was hitting those clutch shots you know Horford's going to be the adult in the locker room and that's I think a very steady presence I feel like everybody fully respects him
0: oh that's why Boston's locker room was so together last year
1: Listen, man, there was no (laughs) way to, when the thing's on fire, there's nothing you can do. I mean, it's, it's one, it's almost the, uh, the, the community meme, you know, when Donald Glover opens the door and the house is on fire, it's like, Oh fuck. Um, you know, the, the other thing, a couple other things I want to touch on, I wouldn't sleep on Corkmaz being a good shooter. He hasn't shot well in the NBA. I think he's around 32% or whatnot. You know, he was a forty-one percent three point shooter in Europe. I feel like there's a, a level of getting comfortable with the NBA game that we're we might see with him this season and more of an opportunity, things like that might open up. I also think Zyra Smith might have a, a really good year for them, you know, uh that as long as he doesn't eat any peanuts. Um <laughs> I think there's there's that kind of Aspect to it and then the other thing with what you're talking about with Horford offensively with those three just him willing to float around the three point line will will make the the difference terms in spacing uh, it's going to be a bit of an awkward fit they're going to have to figure out what they want to do uh, coach Brown's not it's not going to be easy and there's going to be an adjustment period on the offense. The offense might look terrible for the first month. Like Philly fans, you guys have a habit of freaking out. You might want to just kind of relax for a little bit and let, let it come together. Let them figure these things out. Cause this is going to be a bit more complicated than normal, but I think they got a couple of interesting pieces in that regard. I th- again, I think Cork must is going to have a pretty good year shooting the ball. I think there's just a comfort level. I kind of feel is coming with him and, it's going to be an interesting year for them, but I'm excited for them. I actually think they're, they're going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals.
0: That's the other thing about this, too, is I don't know if I like this roster better than I did when they had Jimmy Butler, but they've moved up in the Eastern Conference pecking order by default. They they hurt Boston, as you said already. Milwaukee's probably still in front of them, but I don't think that you can say the Bucks got better this offseason. I think it was kind of lateral. I, I still believe the Malcolm Brogdon exit is going to wind up mattering for them. You could still say they're the best in the Eastern Conference, and I would agree. Um, the the Nets, they're, they're going to be really good, but they don't have their the best version of themselves yet. And then the Raptors lose Kawhi Leonard. They'll still be good, but they probably won't be great. And then what are the Pacers going to be uh, until Victor Oladipo comes back? And even after, since they don't really have the traditional... I, I hate saying true point guard, so just a traditional primary uh, initiator, and then the other teams just you know they don't. Miami with Jimmy Butler, that doesn't scare anybody. Things like that, so they moved up the Eastern Conference's uh, totem pole this this summer, and they. I'm not even sure if their team is actually better than it was last year.
1: I think they're. I think it's going to be better. It's just going to also be a bit different and a little bit awkward. And we're we're just gonna have to see how these guys, young guys develop. Also Embiid has to come into camp like in shape. You know, there was uh the owner, uh one of the owners was on the Simmons podcast and was saying, like, you know, Embiid's like fully committed to getting in shape this summer and things like that. Like we have to actually see that. And that's gonna make a big difference for them as well. Uh you know, I think they're going to be just a little bit better, but it's also going to be different because I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be great defensively.
0: Could you imagine what Embiid would be like if if he's in shape? Just because he was a plus minus demigod during the playoffs, and we're talking about him not being in shape. And the thing we didn't really touch upon with Al Horford is now you've just Joellen bead proofed yourself. It doesn't it matters if he's out, but it also doesn't. Like you have not just someone to come in and. And take the reins, you have like the best replacement of, of, like, in theory. I don't like, unless you want Anthony Davis next to Joel Embiid and even Al Horford just as someone who can jumpstart the offense. And uh, again, I'm not trying to say he's better than Anthony Davis, but I'm just as an alternative to Embiid, if he needs time off and you know Embiid is only going to play in you know, 60, 65 games a year, if that, and that he might be a risk if, if his knees act up to, to even miss playoff time to just have Al Horford is such an unprecedented comfort in that situation.
1: It's huge. It's huge. I mean, there was, we saw the problem with their, their depth, uh, lack of depth with big men in that Toronto series. I mean, it just became such an issue that they really couldn't afford to have him sit on the bench. So, you know, that's just going to be, it makes a huge difference. And then staggering minutes and things like that. It's just going to really going to be an interesting opportunity for them. You know, it's, it's, they're, they're going to be fascinating to watch.
0: I'm not a fan of raw plus minus per se, but I looked this up while you were talking really quickly, the Sixers with him beat in the playoffs last year, plus plus one forty-three when he's on the court, when he was off the court, minus one Oh seven. So that's just oh, yeah. raw plus minus. Cause it was a small enough sample where I said, let's look at raw. That's. That's, again, wild, the overused word of this segment.
1: Yeah, that, that's absurd.
0: That does it for the Atlantic Division. We did not have Andy's grades. He his, Whoa, his, whoa, whoa. Oh, my God. I forgot about the – wow, Toronto is uh, – that's not going to do anything for any Raptors fans. The champion doesn't get respect. That is, that is disrespectful on my part. I deserve all the hate. Leaving it in there, of course, um, because I'm an idiot.
1: Toronto fans, that was Dan Favelli, <laughs> not Mo. It's that spelled was Dan.
0: Dan Favelli, spelled M-O-D-A-K. <laughs> um, the Toronto Raptors, if it helps, I was kinder to them than a lot of other people were in their offseason grades. Notable additions for them include Cameron Payne, Devin Robinson, um, Dwan Hernandez, Matt Thomas, Rondae Hollis-Jefferson, Stanley Johnson, Terrence Davis, notable exits, Danny Green, Jeremy Lin, Jody Meeks, Kawhi Leonard, notable re-signings. Patrick McCaw, I gave them a B. What did you give them, Mo?
1: Yeah, a B. I mean, I don't know what the expectations were. We, we, I expected Kawhi to leave all year. Would have been obviously. I expected amazing. him to
0: stay. Raptors fans, just FYI. Oh, don't kiss up to them now. I'm on record as predicting it. It ended up being incorrect, so I don't really know how much of a I'm flex pretty that sure is. you.
1: I'm pretty sure you doctored those records, but. The, uh, um, I look at them and I just think like, you know, they, they did everything they possibly could do to recruit him. They didn't hurt themselves in the process. They didn't shoot themselves in the foot. The guy made a different decision and left. And then Danny green left it, you know, which was to be expected. So I don't think there's anything really wild about their, their, uh, off season, uh, I laugh a little bit when you say Cameron Payne's a notable signing. I just uh,
0: any anyone that I think our listeners would recognize name-wise is what I try and
1: do. <laughs> right. So I, I, I would just look at him as a signing. Uh, <laughs> the uh, that, Wow, that was kind of mean. Um, the the way I would just say is you know they, they did everything they possibly could do right. They brought in guys. They're in an interesting position depending how the season goes. They might be sellers at the trade deadline and might be ready to rebuild and blow this whole thing up. Might not depending, you know, they could also be with just how weird the East is again. They could be a three seed. I mean, they were, I think it was like 19 and seven or something, 19 and five without Kawhi Leonard. I mean, they know how to play without Kawhi Leonard, you know, losing Danny green hurts a little bit, but you know, they still got a lot of good players on that squad. So I wouldn't sleep on them. That's why I'm just not too concerned with them.
0: Yeah, the first thing is you can't hate on them for losing Kawhi Leonard. It doesn't sound like there was anything they could have done. I honestly thought that afterwards I was like, well, the Raptors had to be his number two choice. And it sounds like the Lakers were his number two choice. I don't we don't know how true that is, but it sounds like he was gone. Um, I would just
1: it's cold. Yeah.
0: It, it, that's it, all I
1: got for it. is I'm sorry Toronto it's cold up there man that's he why you noted guys are, it
0: I think in one of his postseason pre, uh, postgame like po- after the season pressers where he was like it was nice to experience all the different seasons
1: yeah man listen like that's one of the best things about LA it's always nice
0: yeah uh you have a a hollywoodian over here or whatever you call them and and mo so raptors fans feel free to get at him on twitter and
1: hollywoodian
0: yeah i don't what do you call it
1: have you have you lived in a do you live in a cave a little bit los angelinos
0: oh yeah los angelinos i'm gonna call you a hollywoodian though hollywoodian mo tequila the and the other thing with the raptors and i think you hit it on the head with this was you don't even have to worry about them without Kawhi leonard yes losing danny Green sort of hurts. Last year, though, in the time that Lowry and Pascal Siakam played without Leonard and Danny Green on the court, Toronto was a plus 21.6 per 100 possessions. It was only a 324-possession sample size, so it's small. But you can safely assume that Siakam should improve. Now you're getting a full season of Marcus Gasol. Maybe you'll have a healthy OG Ananobi. Uh, Kyle Lowry is still—I I, I think he's underrated. People just don't think that he's a legitimate all-star uh Raptors fans obviously know that he is. Maybe you get a little bit more out of Norman Powell. I think if they want to keep it together, as you said before, if you told me they were going to be the three seed, it wouldn't shock me. I don't know that I would expect it, but I think they can make a, a legitimate run for a top four, five record in the East. The one thing that was curious, and I kind of both like it and loathe it at the same time, is that you replaced two of your most valuable shooters with, Mostly guys who can't shoot. And I don't know how much they're planning on playing Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Stanley Johnson, but that's a hell of a transition. And even when you include Patrick McCaw in there, you're super versatile defensively now. And I think that's something that we should like about the Raptors offseason because Rondé Hollis Jefferson showed some nice positional malleability on defense with Brooklyn they could just never really figure out his place on offense, try to get him to handle the ball. The the Pistons did the same thing with Stanley Johnson. The Pelicans a little bit did the same with him. And so can you fit those guys in on offense? It was, on the one hand, I like the Flyers, the cheap Flyers on these youngish wings who might be able to turn into something and who give you some defensive options. But on the other hand, uh, this offense feels like, even after signing the God, Matt Thomas, it it kind of feels like, it's going to be a little hard-pressed at points. Matt, who exactly?
1: Um, I I think Rondé Hollis Jefferson, besides having one of the longest last names with the hyphen in it, uh, I think that was a good pickup. It's just a, a low risk. Let's see what the guy can do. Try to help him develop. Them. I think, he, like you said, they're going to lose a lot in the shooting end of it. But it I was just like,
0: overkill, you know. Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green out. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson and Stanley Johnson in. Patrick McCaw stays. It was just. It was a lot to process.
1: Yeah, it was. It, it was a tough deal in that situation. I think the overall thing, though, is we're going to find out how good Pascal Siakam is, right? Like I've said this before about other players and things. When people are like, "Oh, this guy's so good," I said, "Yeah, you're. You can be really good when you're the third option." or the second option. We're going to find out now is he a first option guy? You know, can he really be the number one option on a team? Cuz even last year, you know, on, on the games Kawhi didn't play or load management or was sitting on the bench, also a lot of that stuff was things he scored off of Createment. createment creation from uh Kyle Lowry. You know, and I think there's going to be an interesting thing to see now like when defenses are focused and locked in on him every night. I'm gonna be interested to see if he takes that leap and whatnot. Now they still got fantastic guys. I'm always gonna be a Marcus All fan. I'm always I'm a big fan of Kyle Lowry. I'm with you. He's just tough as nails. I'm never gonna bash a dude that's just that, as tough as he is. So I think it's gonna be a really interesting team. But I, that's more than anything else what I'm watching for when I watch the Raptors is is Pascal Siakam the guy? Can he be the guy, or is he? a second option guy. And by the way, absolutely nothing wrong with being a second option guy.
0: Yeah. Look at what Chris Middleton just got
1: almost. Yeah. Max. <laughs> you know, and, and we'll discuss that when we get to the bucks, uh, the pod, the Midwest podcast, but, uh, you know, that it's, we're just going to find out. I'm stumbling over words now, but it'll be interesting to see what, what the kind of is when he, everything's on his shoulders.
0: I. Really quickly, do you think he's going to get an extension or no? I think it, it it has to be no, right? Because why would he sign for less than the max?
1: Why would he sign for less than the max? And why would Toronto give him the max, yeah, right? His, like his the cap only hold
0: right now is seven point one million next year. His max salary, I believe, is going to be more than four times as much as that. I don't have it directly in front of me, but I'm pretty confident in saying that much.
1: Yeah, there's no reason to do it, uh, for both sides. You know, I think they got to see what he does. You know, like I always get scared when somebody, when a team gives a dude an extension, when we're not sure really what his deal is. And this guy all of a sudden, you know, he gets the max and then we're like, Oh wow, you paid a lot for a third option. Um, you know, it, it becomes a miscalculation sort of situation. So, you know, I think this is a good year, really a good opportunity for Toronto to kind of figure out what is he and really what do they have you know that like I said man if things aren't going right they could be big sellers in the trade market come February and that could swing really a championship one way or the other uh like it did last year when they got Marcus so we'll we'll see how it shakes out but it's going to be an interesting year and a, a good chance for Masai Ujiri to decide you know how is he going to set the table for the future
0: and I don't want to get into will they finish the uh, play a game of will they or won't they finish the season in toronto do you think the because i don't honestly know if they're going into this thinking give them their miniature victory lap get the rings and then we'll really look at regardless sort of blowing up the trade deadline do you think they give this roster an actual chance to play out the year first before contemplating perhaps that mid-season shake-up
1: you can't i mean you got i mean you you play out to the trade deadline And you got to assess as you're approaching the trade deadline. If things aren't looking good, you're struggling, you're potentially out of the playoffs, and Marcus Gasol's a free agent, Kyle Lowry's going to be a free agent, you have a chance to get assets for them. You don't do what the Knicks do. You don't just hold on to these guys and let them walk for free. You try to flip them for assets. And I think it's just a a calculation. There's there's no way to predict it uh, unless you're going to say, man, they're going to be bad. And I don't think they're going to be bad. I think it's going to be a, a, a interesting where they end up at that point, where they are at that point. It's going to be a a, a moment sort of where Messiah's going to have to calculate: Are we good enough? You know, can we can we really do this? Or hey, man, we had a great run, dude. Let's get some assets and start building for the next one.
0: Yeah, that they're going to be interesting to monitor because I still think they could be pretty good without Kawhi and at least make it tough for Masai to make that call to blow it up. That'll do it for the Atlantic division for real. Now we, we have covered all five teams, not
1: just the four that I thought we did. I mean, you, I mean, by the way, I mean, that's about as uh, xenophobic. It's just ignore the Canadian team only care about the (laughs) American. Come on, Dan. What's wrong with you man?
0: I, I genuinely apologize to,
1: to the Raptors fans <laughs> that listen to this
0: podcast. I make no apologies to Mo who was an awful human being. Until next time, I leave you with a shout <laughs> I leave you with the shout out to the one and only Kyle Anderson. Andy's guy gets no shout out because he's not here. But Mo My
1: man Jalen Brunson, I see you, baby. Big year for you in Dallas.